0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. And that's exactly what we want to be about, is raising a hallelujah. We want to be praising this amazing God who loves us, who seeks us, who gives us life, and who invites us into right relationship With him. And so, once again, we are going to be diving into the book of Numbers today. We started this series last week, and we're going to continue now our progression through it. But before we get to our passage today, it reminds me of something that happened to me many years ago. And there are probably a number of you who remember this story. I've told it before in the distant past. So if you're one of those folks, don't spoil it. For those you may be watching or listening with who who are familiar with it, but this is how the story goes. When I was in high school was when I began going on hunting trips with my dad. And we took this one hunting trip early in my high school years to um, the high desert country of uh, Prineville. So we were way out in the sticks, way beyond Prineville, and way beyond the city, way beyond any kind of civilization, had four-wheeled our drive, four-wheeled drive our way um, to this one butte. And it, I don't remember the name of it, but it was a really, really big butte. And we decided that that's where we would hunt that day. And so we parked our trucks and we made an agreement with one another that if someone shot a buck, they could come back and it didn't matter whose truck they took, they could take that truck and go get it and then, you know, come back. So we hid the keys under the trucks and we went our separate ways. My dad and I went up this butte and everybody else went around the sides of it. And it was a pretty big butte. It took us almost all morning to climb to the top and to get to the back side of it. And by this point, we had drank most of our water, had eaten most of our food and had seen nothing. And so we decided we would begin to make our way back to the trucks. And so we did just that. We traveled back down other side and then down the butte to where our trucks were supposed to be parked and when we came to the area where we were sure we had parked them they were gone now at first this seemed like good news because someone in our hunting party had actually gotten something and that was a good thing but for both trucks to be gone that was kind of disconcerting to us and so here we were alone in this desert. You ever been in a desert before? I mean you don't have to spend a lot of time in a desert to appreciate, to realize that deserts are hot and usually barren. Some of them are really desolate. There's a lack of food, a lack of water. Not a place you want to spend a lot of time in and yet The story we have today from the book of Numbers in Numbers 9 is a desert story. God's people find themselves, by God's design, in the desert. So what was that like? What can we learn from them? Well, to truly appreciate what's going on here, we need to have a little bit of background with how they got to this place. For those of you who know your Bibles or who know history you know that God freed the Israelite people from the Egyptians and then he brought them to the base of Mount Sinai and there the presence of God manifested on top of the mountain and he invited the people to come to him and they said no they would not draw near to him so he chose to draw near to them. Through Moses acting as a mediator, God made his presence known to the people. And eventually, as you read through Exodus, God tells Moses to to build this glorified tent called the tabernacle. In its early stages, it was referred to as the tent of meeting. And this was where God's presence would manifest itself right outside the camp of the people so that he could draw near to them. But now, as we enter the story, God's people are traveling towards a promised land. This is a land that God had promised his covenant people, the Israelite nation, thousands of years before, and now they were headed towards it. But they would have to go through the desert in order to get there. And the desert, in Jewish thinking, wasn't just thought of as a desolate, barren place. There was symbolism to the wilderness or to the desert as well. It was thought of to be a place of of chaos, of sometimes evil, and not just physical desolation, but relational desolation. It was a place where God wasn't. And yet, ironically, in this story, God not only leads the people into the desert, He goes with them. He goes into the desert with them. And so there is a lot that we can learn from them. And that's what we're going to do today. But this isn't just about surviving in the desert. If you were with us last week and you heard Matt's excellent sermon on what it means to be blessed by God, because God's heart is always to bless us, he doesn't just want us to survive those desert experiences. He wants us to thrive in those. He wants to bless us even in the midst of those. So how does that happen and what does that look like? Numbers 9 verses 15 through 23 is where we'll go. So let me grab my Bible, and if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open to that, and if you don't have one, I'm going to read this, and we'll put this also up on the screen for you to see. So here we go. On the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. And as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would, say it with me, in camp. And then at His command, they would, say it with me, set out. Are you seeing a pattern here? Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. And whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. So whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped. And at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. Now, an observation that you probably arrived at too. We just used a lot of real estate to say the same thing over and over again. Set out. In camp, set out, in camp, stop, go, go, stop. I, okay, we, we get it, right? But what is important for us to understand is that in Old Testament times as well as New Testament times, to write something down was not only profoundly important, it was profoundly rare. Parchment, papyrus, whatever they were writing on was extremely expensive. So every word that you wrote down needed to count. And in ancient Hebrew, to repeat something over and over again, which is the language, by the way, that Numbers was originally written in, in ancient Hebrew, you did that for repetition But even more importantly, to underscore something, to bold something, to italicize italicize something, to make a point. The reason this says over and over and over again, stop, go, go, stop, set out, in camp, is because the author wants us to understand, he wants us to get that they didn't do anything without trusting and following the Lord. This is about following as the Lord leads us. Simple, right? But not necessarily easy. Simple and easy maybe in the same sentence, but they are not necessarily the same thing. I'd like you to enter the story with me for a minute. How many of you have camped before? Probably most of you. And we're not talking about Camping like with an RV or a travel trailer, that is a form of camping. But, you know, if you're a little more hardcore, you're camping in a tent, right? And that's more what this was about. And tent camping, at least for our family, was something that was really fun for about a week or a week and a half, and then we were ready to be done with it. Because it's a lot of work. And now if you can imagine with me this people who were camping who are daily trying to find food, find provisions, find water. It's hot, it's arid, it's dry. They don't know where they're going. And day after day, they're camping. It's a lot of work. It gets old after a while. And if it wasn't just that, it was also the reality that they didn't know when or how long they were gonna stay in a certain place. They might stay there a day, It might be a place they really like and they have to leave it. Or they might camp in a place where they absolutely hated it and wanted to move on and they ended up staying there a month or months or even a year. The point is they never knew what the next day was going to hold. And they are an incredibly positive example for us at this point in the story of trusting and obeying God, being utterly dependent upon Him day by day, literally step by step. Now, if you stay with us in this series, or if you read through the rest of the book of Numbers, the wheels are going to come off the wagon, so to speak. That's not always going to be the case. But at this point in the journey, they are truly trusting and obeying God, and they are a fantastic example for us to follow God as He leads us. But I wonder how many of them, in that journey, were frustrated, wanted to know the plan, wanted to know where they were going, wanted to know where they would be tomorrow, wanted to know where they would be a week from that point, wanted to know where they would be a year from there. But isn't it interesting that it doesn't tell us God ever told them the master plan? In fact, what it strongly suggests to us is that they didn't know any more than what they needed to know For each day. It had to have been frustrating. When are we going to move on? When are we going to pull forward? When are we going to be done with this? You felt like that at all lately? Have you felt like that in this COVID season? This shelter in place season? I bet you have. Probably many of you feel like that now. You're frustrated. And if it's not that, maybe it's something else. What are you frustrated about right now? That you wish you knew more. You wish you had a fuller picture. You wish you knew the timeline. You wish you knew the destination. You wish you knew what you should do or not do. Boy, those times are deserts in and of themselves. And that's why it's so important that we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Remember what we looked at in this last series? We just finished. In Galatians 5, it said, live in the spirit by keeping in step with the spirit. Because you see, we have an upgrade when it comes to this cloud. I mean, imagine what that cloud must have been like. This this cloud of fire, this cloud of God's glory that, that was his presence. It must have been awesome and incredible and terrifying all at the same time. And this cloud is guiding them every day and at night. But we no longer have a cloud that guides us because God has gotten so close to us, He's come inside of us through His Holy Spirit. We've gotten an upgrade. The Holy Spirit comes and He, he never leaves us. He lives inside of us when we choose to receive Jesus Christ into our life as our Lord and Savior. Therefore, He provides daily, moment-by-moment guidance. But so many times... That's all he provides. God always gives us what we need when we need it. And so many of us would like to know the big picture. We would like to know more of the plan. We'd like to know what tomorrow holds. We'd like to know what next week holds. We'd like to know what the future holds. But what did Jesus himself say? Do not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so that's why it's so important that instead of demanding God meet our timelines, tell us his plans, give us the whole picture, that we choose to walk in step with his spirit because his spirit is always working. He's always at work in our lives and he never leaves us. He is a constant presence. He is the one who guards and guides us. And so, as we prepare to enter into music worship once again, will you join me in welcoming the Holy Spirit and inviting Him to work in our lives, to speak to us, and to reveal Himself to us? Let's sing together. And that's what we want to be about: is declaring and living yes and amen when it comes to hearing the voice of God. We want to respond to Him, we do want to trust and obey Him. But there are lots of voices competing for our attention, telling us what to do in this culture that we live in today. Or to put it in the vernacular of our passage, there are lots of clouds that are trying to get us to follow them. And so it necessarily begs the question of all of us, whose voice are you listening to in your life today? What cloud are you following, so to speak? Because it's so important for us to accept no substitutes when it comes to following God's voice. We are to listen to His voice. But we have all these voices that are constantly coming at us. And I want to speak to a very specific example. And that's everything that's been happening in our country these last several weeks. The loss of, of George Floyd is, is it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. There's there's just no other way to describe it or explain it. And there are lots of voices that are telling us how to respond to that. And I'll speak to extremes here very deliberately. There are voices out there that are saying, pick up a rock, pick up a can of paint, pick up something that you can start a fire with, and go to downtown or go to some part of your city and light it on fire, graffiti it up, break the windows, loot, steal, is that the voice we should be listening to? And then there are other voices that are largely silent. And that's the problem, too. They're the voices of apathy. They're the voices of numbness. They're the voices that just really don't care or aren't responding. And I don't think either extreme is, is God's voice for you and me. So what I'm about to speak to now, illustratively, with this is going to be possibly too much for some of you to hear. And probably for a number of you, you're not going to think, I've said enough. Because we could devote this entire time, we could probably devote an entire sermon series to what's going on in our culture right now and how we should respond. But my friends, the reality is that justice is the heart of God. All throughout the Old Testament and New, righteousness is talked about as being expressed through Justice, In fact, biblical righteousness, as it's described in the Old Testament in particular, is being willing to disadvantage yourself for the sake of who our culture would say is the worthless person. Disadvantaging yourself for the worthless person. That is what true biblical righteousness looks like. My friends, justice, righteousness, that's, that's our side of the street. It always has been. It always will be. But how we engage with that matters. You see, here at Grace, we want to be a community of Jesus followers who embrace all ethnicities, all races, all people from every walk of life because we're a family. That's what Galatians 3.26 reminded us of in our last series in Galatians. Do you remember that? Where it declares there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free, nor, neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. You are a part of the family of God. That is who we are. We are the family of God in Jesus Christ. Those distinctions don't matter. But it also means that we don't have the option of of doing nothing. What we're seeing boiling over in our culture now is injustice and really sin and selfishness that needs to be addressed. It needs to be steered into. And my friends, the problem with all this is me and you. You see, apart from Jesus Christ, we all start out in the same place. We are all selfish, sinful, self-focused, broken people. And one of the ways that manifests itself is in bias and discrimination and blind spots to our brokenness. And that is the problem with your blind spots, is you can't see them. And in our brokenness, they come out in a variety of ways. And the good news, the hopeful news about the gospel of Jesus Christ is we do not have to settle for that kind of life. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a new identity, you are a new creation, you are part of a new family, and you don't have to live like that anymore. But how we engage with the justice issues of this season and of our time and of our lives matters. How we live this out matters. We are told to overcome evil with good, not join with it or be a part of it. We are commanded from the last series in Galatians 5 to do good to all people, not just some people, but all people. We are called to be salt and light and to live distinctive lives of right relationship with God and right relationship with others through Jesus Christ so my friends, this season we're in is complicated, it's hard, it's, it causes fear and anguish and anxiety and difficulty, it's heart-wrenching, and it absolutely matters whose voice we're listening to. I appeal to you to listen to the voice of God, go to His Word, listen to His Holy Spirit, and then respond. In fact, I want to stop and pray that we collectively as a church and individuals would do just that. God, our hearts break over the difficulty, over the the sin that we are seeing expressed in so many ways, the injustice. But God, we thank you that you are the God who rights all wrongs and you are the God who calls us to follow you in that. Wherever there's something wrong. And we can do something about it. We're called to do something about it. So would we be bold in Christ in doing just that? And would we listen to your voice and all the other voices that are coming at us? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This picture that you're going to see on your screen happened last weekend. The Portland Police Bureau was one of the very first in the country where officers actually kneeled with the protesters, and when I first saw this picture, when I first saw the video clip, it was so moving to me and so powerful. Here are the police who were there to police that crowd of people, but who were also charged with protecting them, kneeling with them, and demonstrating the value and speaking to the dignity of all life and all people. It was profoundly powerful for me to see that, and since then there have been a number of cities where the police and the city officials have done just that. They have kneeled with the protesters. And again, this is where the voices come in. There are voices that would tell you that all police are like the officer or officers who killed George Floyd and took his life. And that's just simply not true. And there are voices that would say all protesters are throwing rocks through windows and vandalizing and creating graffiti and that's simply not representative or true either. It's so important that we listen to God's voice, that we go to his word for perspective and for hope in all this. And now I want to pull back for a minute and just think in general terms about the multitude of voices that are constantly speaking into our lives. We live in the information age. Our problem is not a lack of information. It's an overabundance of it. You don't have to turn or look very far to hear a voice that is telling you what you should do. What kind of parent you should be, what your relationships should be like, what your marriage should be like, what your career should be like, what your vacation should be like, what your life should be like. There isn't a book or a blog or a post or a tweet or a feed or a forum that somehow isn't trying to speak into your life, trying to be a voice in your life to tell you what to do. And by the way, with all those things and with your life, if it's not Instagram worthy, then you're not worthy. Because there are constant examples that you can go and look at and see and listen to who are doing better than you are. That this life you're supposed to have, these experiences you're supposed to be experiencing, well, you may not be experiencing them, but other people are, so, you know, you need to get with it. Man, that is a voice of shame and guilt and comparison. Gosh, by way of example... And this was amazing to me at first until I realized, yeah, I guess it makes sense. But I read this article not long ago that was directed towards retired people. And it was telling them to be really careful about going online and, uh, and interacting with social media and seeing other people taking these dream vacations and doing all these things in their retirement years that you weren't doing and to be careful that you didn't squander your retirement trying to keep up with the proverbial Joneses. And I thought, do we really need to be told that? And evidently, we do. And we live in this frenetic, frantic culture with all these voices that tells us we need to be this and we need to be that and it needs to be perfect and it needs to be this way right away. And if you're not doing this, you're a failure and you're wrong and here's examples of other people who are living the way you should be living and why aren't you living that way? Are there any voices that are telling us, stop, slow down, wait because there is a voice if we will listen to it that will tell us to do just that in order to help us find rest in order to help us find replenishment but also in order to help us find perspective because rather than calling this voice in to bless us and our plans we're listening for his voice so we can be a part of his plan Jesus himself said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, this voice, this cloud, will lead us day by day. And oftentimes, that's how he will lead us and to the extent that he will lead us, moment by moment, day by day. He won't tell you the big picture. He won't tell you what to expect tomorrow. He won't tell you what's going to happen next week or a year from now. But he will be with you, he will never leave you, he will guide you, and he will take you where he wants you to go if you will listen for his voice and follow his voice. My friends, accept no substitutes when it comes to the voice of God. Because when we listen to his voice, we experience the very blessing that Matt helped us see last week. This God wants to bless our life. By having us trust and obey him, which brings us to a final reality we see in this passage. I'm sure there are many others, but this is our final one for today, and it's this: we have to remember that if we want to thrive in the desert, we need to remember the presence and the provision of God. Do you realize that God gave them what they need, what they needed, rather, when they needed it? That's the way he works, because he's good, because he's faithful, because he's trustworthy. And so, my friends, my question to you is, what desert do you find yourselves in this morning? What desert are you walking through? This God has promised he will never leave you or forsake you. Do you realize he didn't have to go into the desert with his people? But he did because he chose to. You don't go into any desert experience alone. God is with you. On that hunting trip so many years ago, God was with us. But our hunting party wasn't, and neither were our trucks. And so the sun began to go down. And in the high desert, I think pretty much in any desert, when the sun goes down, it goes from being real hot to real cold real quick. So we built a fire with what firewood we could find. We didn't expect to be there long. We knew that those trucks would come back. Our friends would come back and find us before we ran out of firewood and the fire burned down to embers, and they did not come back. And then the fire went out. We didn't expect to be out at night, so we didn't have flashlights with us. And in the desert at night, it's not only really cold, it's really dark. And again, this was when I was in high school, and I'm really old, so this was before cell phones, before, you know, any of the many means of help that we have now, we're out in the boonies and there's no one around. So at that point we decided we would try to hike out. We'd try to hike out the very road that we had come down. And after we had crested some hills and had hiked for several hours, we began to see some of the lights of Prineville, but we wouldn't get there until early that next morning. We had long been out of water. We were thirsty, we were hungry. We were really tired and we were alone. And so we began to walk by what little moonlight there was. And we walked and we walked and we walked. And then all of a sudden, as we had dropped down into this trough up on the ridge, all of a sudden the entire horizon began to light up. And then this truck came over the hill and then another truck came over the hill and it was our friends. They had shot a couple deer, a couple bucks on the far side of that butte, and it had taken them that long to four-wheel drive back there to get them and then to come back for us. But the point was they had come back. How do you know that you can trust and obey God when you're in the middle of a desert? How do you know that he really will never leave or forsake you, that he will do what he says he will do, even when the desert you're in makes no sense, even when trusting and obeying obeying him makes no sense to you, when it just seems crazy, how do you know that you can truly trust and believe him? Well, what has he done for you? You see, Jesus... Promised, God himself promised that he would come. A- and he did. God came through Jesus Christ. After thousands and thousands of years of promises, the Messiah came. Jesus coming and living and walking among us is a historical fact. No one disputes that. No one has had a more profound impact on human history than Jesus Christ. Hands down. There's no argument about that. But who is Jesus to you? Will you accept him and receive him for who he said he was? And that was the son of God. God himself come looking for us, just like our friends came looking for us that night. This God comes to you. He wants to draw near to you. He always wants to draw near and be near his people. And that's what he wants for you this morning. And communion reminds us of all these realities. Why can we trust and obey God? Because of what communion points to, what God has done for us. Jesus Christ comes. He lives the Spirit-filled life for us. He models what a Spirit-filled life is like. And then He dies on a cross in our place to remove our sin and brokenness and in turn to give us His righteousness, His power for right living. 1 John 1.14 Says it this way The Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Another word for that is that he tabernacled among us, he pitched his tent among us. This God has come. And it goes on to say that John the Baptist, the prophet who foretold that Jesus would come, said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that's what Jesus does he takes away our sin and brokenness and he brings hope and healing and a future communion reminds us of all these realities and we're going to celebrate that reality now so I want to encourage you to grab the communion elements that you hopefully have set aside and we're going to remember what Jesus has done for each one of us together and if you're not sure that you have received Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to do that right now. All you have to do is invite him in, is to say, God, I want you in my life. I believe in you. I love you. I want to follow you. And he will come into your life. And in 1 Corinthians, it tells us this, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's remember him together. It goes on to say this. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's remember what he's done for us. This God wants to be near to you and to me, so near that he pitches his tent, he tabernacles. He comes and lives inside of us through the power of His Holy Spirit. And I don't know what desert you may be walking through. If you're not in one now, you will be. And when that time comes, this God will go with you. And He will ask you to trust and obey Him and follow Him. So will you? Let's commit ourselves to doing just that as we now sing and worship together. So he is the great I am. That's why we worship him. That's why we love him. That's why we follow him and trust and obey him. And that is why we celebrate him. I'd like to leave you with these words out of the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. This is Psalm chapter 89, and this is verse 14. And this is what it says. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. So as we prepare to now enter in once again to this coming week, let love and faithfulness and righteousness and justice be what makes us distinctive as we trust and obey and follow Him. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you again next weekend. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.